This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. Cool. All right, let's let's talk about iOS 13. Um, I'm actually uh, I'm actually using dark mode at the moment, um, and I don't know whether I like it. I was talking to to Paul about this on Twitter the other day, and we almost kind of we came to the conclusion that maybe we should there should be like a grey mode. And yep. He came up with a brilliant idea that why don't why isn't there like a little slider bar in settings that sort of goes from totally dark to quite grey, and then you could find that perfect sort of mix in between that. And I know that has like huge implications for you know building UIs and stuff uh, if your colour palettes and things like that. What um, Ish and Heidi were saying last week about how many different colours you would need, but uh, yep, yes, food for thought. I I find it too. Um, I mean, I'm looking at Slack on my phone now, and it's not too bad. That's quite. That is actually quite grey. Like the backgrounds are like an off black. Um, yep. However, you go into Twitter, and suddenly it gets very, very dark, very, very quickly. And Twitter has a mode, has a different mode where I think you can adjust it so that it's not completely black. Right, I may have to um, look into that. I think in principle I like the idea, but it's like when I actually come to use it, it's just not quite hitting the spot. Yep. It kind of, I think the way that the, uh, it's kind of the images, like I'm scrolling through Twitter now, and like, you know, people's um, you know, little avatar things, and if there's any images embedded in tweets, things like that. Yep it starts to look a bit jarring quite quickly, I find. And I don't know what you can do about that because a lot of the images are, you know, like, well, the one I've just scrolled past now is like a screenshot of Wikipedia or, or something. So, of course, it's almost yep. entirely white. And it's just kind <laughs> of like, ugh. Like, <laughs> and in terms of designing UIs, I can kind of see how you would get around it because you can kind of design for it. But if you've just got content being pulled in from the internet and you haven't got a clue what it is, and it can basically be any colour under the sun... Yep. I, I don't really know what the solution is to that. It's hard. That is, it's certainly a hard problem to to try and solve. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the kind of like having it black or having it just kind of off black and into sort of dark grey kind of issue that you described before, I certainly feel that. Like, I find that dark mode in a lot of places is just, it's too dark on my phone. Um. So I've actually turned it off on my phone. Really? Uh, so yeah, I've got my my phone is running iOS thirteen point uh, for better or worse. So I went straight in on that as soon as it was available. Um, and my iPad is running the thirteen point one beta. And on my iPad, I've left dark mode on for whatever reason. I can kind of cope with it a lot better there, and it sort of feels like it makes more sense to me on my phone. I'm not enjoying it so much, so I've turned it off. Right. Um, but, but on Twitter, I'm actually using Twitter's dark mode, which you can use independently of the system dark mode. Yeah, well, just while you've been talking then, I've just been in the settings and I've changed it from lights out, which it, you know, was like totally dark mode, to dim, yep. um, which is, yep. looks more of like a, an inky blue. That is working for me. Yeah, that's, that's how I run it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I could live with this now. Um, yeah, WhatsApp doesn't seem to have responded at all to dark mode. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's an update waiting for me in the App Store. I haven't quite gotten yet. Well, that's the thing, though, is that this is early days, right? Yeah, and every app is going to sort of try and take it on. 
uh, over the course of this next year. I think every app that can benefit from it is going to give it a go. And come around to DubDub next year, and I think Apple might have one or two solutions to some of these edges. Possibly, yeah. It sort of feels like there might be an approach here that could sort of help, uh, whether that's a bit of configuration or... Um, I, I don't know what something a bit more dynamic to sort of handle, like when you get things content or whatever that sort of flashes up quite bright. I, I'm I'm not sure, um, but it, it kind of feels like this is still early days, you know. So I feel like on the Mac it works better for me, dark mode. Um, yep. On iOS, I'm still not sure. It's it's funny though, just like iOS 13 in general, kind of. I I don't I don't really feel like it's changed an awful lot about the way i use the the phone at all really i haven't really noticed much it feels fundamentally the same iphone as it was when i was running 12 point whatever whatever it's a few slight tweaks but i I don't really feel like it's uh it's been earth shattering for me i don't know about you no again it sort of feels like um incremental really in a lot of ways um i think the new modal sort of presentations the card type presentations that's been the biggest sort of thing for me to sort of get used to. Um, and, and with that, what I mean is um, it's not so much the fact that it, they're sort of displayed like cards in general. Um, it's just that in some apps, the um, you get this kind of new kind of bottom navigation sort of come up. Yeah. the um, I, I guess this whole experience of upgrading my phone to iOS 13 has kind of made me question, like, what I'm, I'm, what am I using my phone for? Because I haven't really felt yep. the impact of the new OS very much. It's just kind of almost highlighted to me that whenever I go on my phone, it's kind of the process is, you know, wake the phone up, face ID, unlock, swipe up, go to Twitter. Okay, yeah. But I just think it's kind of funny with this whole narrative that's going around at the minute of, you know, the iPhone Pro. Just kind of, it's just made me question really, like, what what am I using my phone for? Essentially, it's a, it's a Twitter, taking photos, looking at photos, and Slack. Yep. And podcasts. And that has mostly been the same since I was been on my iPhone six. <laughs> so I don't know. It almost feels like now they can add all these other features, like in iOS fourteen, and I don't know if I'm really going to feel the benefit of them just based on how I'm using the device. Yeah, I almost feel like I'm in a bit of a rut. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It kind of feels that there's an element of that. I think across the board with smartphones um, in general. You know, not just over um, on iOS and for for the iPhone, but I kind of see this. Um, happening over on the Android side as well, just just talking with people that I work with who are Android devs and users. And, you know, you look forward to uh, better cameras, better photography in general, that side of things. Um, but then apart from that, we've kind of reached a stage where the platform is, is pretty solid. You know, there's a lot of the early kind of things that it needed to do and couldn't do have now been solved. So there is that element now of everything is kind of stable. And then we get these incremental updates. Uh, you know, things, processes get faster with the new phones. The photography is getting better. Uh, but I kind of feel like, yeah, there is no one feature now that's sort of come out in the last year that's, that's really made me sort of go, oh, I've, I've got to upgrade right now. You know, yeah. we've, we've kind of reached this sort of, this sort of point and it's certainly not happening through the software you know i mean i upgraded to my 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 10r because i wanted to play with the um the true depth 
sensor um, and, and to play with the um, the depth information coming out of the front-facing camera. That was one of the primary reasons I upgraded. But aside from that, there, there wasn't a sort of major pull factor other than just sort of knowing, okay, I'm going to get a faster phone, I'm going to get a, a you know something that takes uh, better photographs than my previous one. Um, so yeah, I'm with you with that. My, my use of my phone is very similar. There's, there's these sort of core few apps that I use, um, and then that's about it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, like you said, there's no, no one feature of that of iOS 13 that makes me think, oh yeah, this is you know the reason why you must upgrade. I think for me that the the, the things that are of, of interest to me is what's going on under the hood things like swift ui and it's not obviously exclusive to ios 13 but it kind of is thrown into the mix of ios 13 a bit i think yeah those kind of features um that you know a regular user probably won't even feel or know is there but i think that could have quite big implications for the platform going forward i think those are the things that excites me about where we are now not necessarily just the release of ios 13 yeah uh, yeah, so I've, I've got massive interest as a dev in the technologies I can now use with iOS 13, and then that's certainly keeping me, you know, quite quite keen to be running it and playing with it and that side of stuff. Um, but as a user, it it kind of feels quite incremental. Yeah, and uh, I suppose it's it, you know it's easy to you know this conversation that we're having now. It could be easy to label it as oh, you know, we're being negative. It's kind of. I don't feel like I'm negative about it. I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with the phone um, and the software and where it's all at. Um, yep. And I was pleased with 12. And I think that's almost a compliment to the platform in a way. Um, like, like you were saying, a lot of the big hurdles now have been overcome. So basically these things now are just really, really good phones and good OSs. And there's not really those features that we're all longing after. You know, things like copy and paste, multitasking, things like that. You know, When we got those, they, those were big wins. Um, yeah. it's kind of like we'd take them for granted now we're in, in a good place really yeah and, and I feel like for, for the iPad the story might be a little bit different you know by the time because we're in a stage at the moment where iPad OS um, isn't available yet um, but with running the the beta on my, my iPad um, I feel like that's actually been, been more of a sort of like ah oh, this is now behaving how I really want the machine to behave uh, just just having a desktop um, a desktop class browser has been a, a use for me already. Uh, being able to sort of download files in in the way that it can do, um, yeah. And I, I just sort of feel like you combine those sort of improvements that um, are across iPad OS together, and I think iOS thirteen for the for the iPad um, is going to be, you know, quite quite a game changer in a lot of ways. Yeah, so I um, maybe it was less about the phone this year in a lot of ways. Yeah, could well be. I feel like I need to maybe have a look at I, iPad OS a bit more. So, I mean, I haven't touched it. I, I mean, I, I don't even know. If, I don't think I've got the hardware to run it. I've got an iPad Air, like original iPad Air. Yeah, so probably I'm, not. So I'm guessing that's that's not going to go anywhere near it. Um, a crazy little part of me did consider throwing the plan for a 16-inch MacBook under the bus and going for a 13-inch MacBook Pro and some form of iPad. And yep. I would probably come in under budget for what the 16-inch is likely to cost. <laughs> uh, <laughs> end up with change. Uh, imagine that. Well, you uh, could get a pencil as well. Get a pencil thrown in. But this is, this is it. I started looking at the iPad and it's like, oh, by the time you add a pencil, that gets quite a lot. And by the time you add a nice case that, or a keyboard case, that adds quite a lot. And 
yeah. can quickly stack up that iPad Pro if you're not careful when I started looking at it. Um, but I don't know, maybe just some, some form of iPad might not be a bad idea. Just, I guess I'm concerned that I'm not using it. I'm not sort of exposing myself to it. Therefore, I'm potentially at risk of being left behind by it. Sort of being yep. that grumpy guy still on his Mac, being like, hey, leave my Mac alone and, you know, what are these stupid iPad things? I, I don't I don't want to be that person. I um, I, I kind of, I, I want to see all the platforms working together sort of in concert for the benefit of the user. Um, yep. I kind of feel like maybe I should be paying the iPad more attention than I, than I currently am. I think we've reached a stage where, as developers it's probably a very good idea to have an iPad in the mix. You know, just to keep an eye on that side of the platform and to cater for it um, as, as well as you can. Yeah, um, well, I suppose we've just, got the simulators, but they're never the same, I don't think, as like holding no. the device. Because I've, I've developed in the simulator before, loaded it on my phone, and I'm just like, oh, all the sizes of things were wrong that looked fine in the simulator actually yep. when you pick up the phone and hold it in your hand it's like well that's that's too small that's too big it's obvious once you hold it but um yeah, yeah. And, and and you get a feel then for um when, when you're using a physical device you get the feel for how your um your app kind of plays alongside all the others yes um you know especially with um options for things like split screen and overlaying apps and that side of stuff as well so yeah i, I think Actually, I would be advocating quite strongly for you sort of looking at this kind of, you know, maybe you could get a smaller uh, smaller Mac, but then throw an iPad into the mix. I think that could be quite cool. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I do need to look at it. I don't know what iPad I would get. Maybe, the thing is, I would say maybe the Air, just because I'm too stingy to go for the Pro. <laughs> but, with, yep. but with the new 10.2 iPad, kind of gives the signal that what what's that Air doing now? Yeah, I'd go for the the entry level, to be honest. Upgrading from from your existing Air, I'd say go just just go in on that ten point two. Yeah, I mean the screen gap gives me pause a little bit because they're not laminated screens, and if I was going to use a pencil with it, that might be a bit not as nice yeah. as it could be. Um, then, but then we've got an October we, event coming up, so we don't know what we're going to be seeing on the iPad front and the Mac front. Yeah, so there's an element of maybe just holding on just that little bit longer. Yeah, I mean, plan A really is like, let's wait and see what this 16-inch MacBook is because goodness knows I've waited long enough now. I, I feel <laughs> like I, there, there was part of I me mean, last week, there was a deal on the, the 2019 15-inch and I was like, you know what? I, I could just do it now and it's done. This 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 will all be over. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd have a laptop finally that's halfway decent and... um. I thought, no, I can't. I can't do it. Like, not this close. Because what are we now? Uh, 22nd of September. Like, yep. this time next month, feasibly, the event could be on. It could have been over, or invites could be out. Um, I'm trying to think this... this yes. What happened last year? It's kind of just before Halloween, wasn't it? I think. I think so. I feel like it's October the 20-something. It was late October, because I was away in that caravan on holiday, podcasting from the car in a field um, <laughs> over cellular both with yourself and with Daryl um, and yeah it must have been late October because I remember we got back from that holiday and it was my birthday which was the beginning of November so we're not far away you know sort of five weeks we could all could be revealed um, yeah it's October 30th 
Right. Yeah, that would make sense then. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Plan A, I think, you know, in my heart of hearts, <laughs> plan A is to <laughs> see what this 16-inch MacBook is. Pray that it's not over three thousand dollars because if it is over three thousand dollars, I, I I just I just can't I can't do that. Um, yep. Financially and emotionally, B, I don't think I could do that. Um, plan B at that point in time, though, if Plan B is a, a smaller laptop, a smaller MacBook Pro um, combined with an iPad, possibly that'd still be quite a, quite a cool outcome. And you know, by then maybe we'll have some ten nanometer Intel chips in the thirteen inch as well, so that could all time nicely. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to be in such a mess when this event is over. I'm just going to not know what to do. I'll probably take about a month to decide. Probably be like January by the time I even get around to doing anything. But uh, it's going to be exciting to watch it unfold. But yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I do feel the need for, for a more up-to-date iPad just because, like I'd say, I'm, I'm building my app at the moment, um, read list, sort of my RSS reader thing. Um, and it would be very nice to... I think an iPad is going to be a big device that it gets used on, frankly, because, you know, what what better device to read on than an iPad out of the iPhone, the Mac, yep. and the iPad? The iPad is the reader, isn't it, really? It is. So, yeah, I think that has to uh, that has to be fairly high up on the list in terms of priorities, in terms of making it work nicely on the iPad. Uh, there is a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about regarding um, ReadList, the app I'm making. Just a few things that have cropped up this week that I wouldn't mind just sort of bouncing off you if you're up for that. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, the story goes, um, <laughs> in light of my uh, 2010 MacBook Pro that I'm currently working on, it doesn't really handle Xcode so well. Yep. Nor does it handle the simulators very well. Um, a, because I'm running Mojave on it when it shouldn't be running Mojave, so A, it's slow to begin with, and then obviously Xcode and the simulators just, just kill it. So, I kind of thought, well, I need, I want to be making use of this time I've got, so I've started working on kind of like the back end. Okay, yeah. You know, I just need a text editor for that because it's kind of like PHP code for the most part. Remember a few weeks ago I said I got a Raspberry Pi? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I've basically been kind of using that as like my kind of thing for developing and running my back end at the moment. So what I'm doing is this is for my kind of curated directory of sites. So the idea is is that Obviously, you can add your own RSS feeds if you know how, but I'm trying to make this like an RSS reader for people that don't know what RSS is. So um, the directory is going to be a big, big part of that, sort of, you know, breaking stuff down into categories, um, helping people find interesting things to read. So I'm having a back end where I can add feeds that will then appear in this directory. The thing I'm kind of wrestling with at the minute is... The way I want it to appear in the directory is, you know, say you go into a category called, I don't know, DIY or or cars or sport, whichever one you choose to go into, it will then list a load of sites I've kind of put in the the directory. And it'd be quite nice to have the title of the site, a little description about what the site is, probably like from the meta description, either in the RSS feed or from the site itself, and then the fav icon. Yep. And the thing I'm struggling to know what to do with is the fav icons. So, do I store a URL to the fav icon and then just kind of load it directly from the source? When, so, yeah. so, if a user's using my app and they hit the directory and then they hit into a category and some sites start appearing, 
those are then, you know, there are requests being made to the URL that that favicon lives at. Yeah, for example, theverge.com forward slash favicon.ico. Okay, yeah. Or do I have my little crawler thing that crawls the sites to get all the details um, for it to appear in the directory? Do I have it kind of crawl the favicon, sort of download slash save it to my end, and then I serve the image? Okay. I kind of feel if I'm doing it where I'm just like sort of chucking a URL at the uh, UI image view and obviously it goes off asynchronously and brings it back. Yep. That's fine because it's just kind of, it's just a URL and you know, the, the, the site is serving that fav icon. But then I thought, and this is maybe indulging myself a little to think this, I kind of thought to myself, well, what if I get featured by Apple and I get all this press and I've got thousands of people using this app? Mm -hmm. Am I going to cause a problem for these sites getting all these requests for their fav icons? Ah, oh, so fav icon is quite small for a start. It is, but I mean, in some cases, I'm I, I've, I've written my uh, my tool to try and um, look for the best version of the fav icon because a lot of them they've got the uh, you know like the one that if you save an icon to your home screen on your phone, yeah, it's quite a high resolution version available. Okay, so I will sort of try and semi intelligently crawl the site and be like, well, we don't want the fav <laughs> icon because that's quite low res, but there's also there's this, 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 and then we loop through all the ones that are available and like this is the highest res one, so we'll we'll use this one. And typically, it's like the uh, Apple one that a lot of sites have. Thinking this one through, I think like the risk of slash dotting, or if that's even still a phrase, I don't know. Uh, the risk of kind of <laughs> yeah, um, so the risk of fireballing um, people's sites through the fav icon i kind of feel like that's that's a bit of an edge case um you know, it's certainly good to be concerned about you know the impact on other people's sites and stuff uh but i yeah i do wonder um kind of what you could do about that so i think loading the image directly uh, from the url on the device is probably a good way to go from the perspective of if they change that image then you're not like trying to keep an active cache. Um, but is there a kind of halfway house? You're going to be crawling anyway, you know, however often, however regularly, I think, just to sort of make sure your your directory is up to date. So it's going to, like a cron job or something, it'll make it run every X hours or days or whatever, yeah. Yep, yeah. And you're going to, ha- going to have that sort of refresh mechanism going on. So... I guess I kind of wonder, could you cache at that point the fav icon as, as you see it? So you've got your, your cached copy of the fav icon on your server as well or wherever you choose to store it because you might actually offload it onto some Amazon storage or something like that. But anyway, you've got your cached copy on somewhere in your control. If, as a user, um, I get maybe you could you could wrap things in such a way that if i fail to load that image on the first request uh from from the site from from the actual you know the live copy of the fav icon then maybe it could fail over to your cache copy okay. so that could be a sort of halfway house to it yeah one idea i had sort of along those lines but not entirely was that if it did fail then i could almost um, generate an image you know like the contacts does if you don't have a yep. profile picture like I think you come up in mine as just DW yep. I did wonder whether there's something along those lines I could do um, or I just sort of like generate an image that just re- says like the name or the 
you know the first letter or whatever of the site um, yeah because the thing that then struck me was like do i have the right to be caching these people's images sort of like downloading them and rehosting them mm. sort of like legal ramifications and things like that um <laughs> i don't know if i'm sounding a bit naive here i mean it's probably because i i feel a little bit naive um but yeah, I don't know. Is, I, is the other answer to Probably that, not, is to, my, yeah. my gut feeling. is like, actually, I probably shouldn't be doing that. Because I'm essentially re-hosting people's images. Yeah, and those images will be subject to copyright, so... Absolutely they will, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe just going down the URL route and just being like, well, if I DDoS you, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, and having a, having a graceful uh, failover of some sort. Like, the idea of generating a sort of default image, I think I quite like that. And then, worse still, just fall over to my app icon or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then um, with the, the default image, you might be able to draw some colours out from from the site's uh, CSS or, or, or whatever. Yeah, um, quite a lot of them. You remember the, the Windows phones with like the tile interface? Yep. Um, a lot of the fav... There's like a certain fav icon for those that still kick around on quite a lot of sites, actually. Um, so they give like generally a white version of their fav icon and then they specifically specify a hex color for the background of the tile which is generally right. like their brand color so yeah there's things like that you can look at and like you say css to to drag that out as well yeah so that that might be a bit more robust and that wouldn't involve you having to build some sort of caching mechanism or or suffer consequences of of um rehosting other people's images if there's copyright issues there yeah and and equally if I could end up fireballing myself, if I'm, a <laughs> yep. if I have a tremendous launch, um, and then all of a sudden I get all this traffic to a server where all these images are, it's uh, that that could be problematic in its own way too. Um, I mean, this is early days, so it's kind of like I, feel, I figure it's good to be having these conversations out loud with myself and with you now, rather than afterwards. Where I'm like, Dave, I've done something silly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good to explore these uh, these things at this point, and especially it's a good use of time if you're sort of waiting to to have the more proficient machine to start building everything else out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's there's other sides as well to sort of the route we just discovered uh, discussed rather. So just thinking this through, if if somebody's got patchy signal, and um, you know they've received the uh, the return from your server f- uh, for the directory listing at that point, uh, but then their signal drops in, or they're they're on a, a slow connection or whatever. Again, having a graceful sort of failover when those requests for the images uh, times out is probably a good idea. Yes. Um, so, so you kind of save yourself um, in terms of sort of an offline kind of state there as well. I mean, obviously, if they're completely offline, they'll never be able to search or do anything anyway, and you'll need to handle that. Um, but sort of intermittent connectivity uh, is probably better covered, be- better served by having a default that, that you fall back to that's just generated by the app. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I think we're kind of both in agreement then, in a weird way, aren't we? Um, yep. Yeah, I think so. And it kind of makes life easier for me, selfishly. <laughs> just store a <laughs> URL and then just point the uh, image view to that and it's like, hooray, <laughs> no work for me. <laughs> yep. And you can um, you can use a, a library uh, such as Kingfisher or um, Alamo Fire Image, um, or I think there's another one, is it SD Image or something like that? Yeah, um, I remember back in the armchair days, I was using um, Amalafire. Yeah, yeah, I was using that quite quite a lot. Um, 
So it's getting images most of the time over a local network, but nevertheless, you still want them asynchronously. <laughs> yeah, and, and you get the option to cache then as well. Um, like with, with um, I know, Kingfisher, and I think Alamo Fire as well, um, you can have a local cache. So if somebody keeps doing lots and lots of, of searches for similar kind of things and the same uh, the same things are popping up each time, then you're not making the same requests for stuff you've just seen. And that's, that's probably quite a good optimization to just have. And with these libraries, it's a case of just kind of, it's, it's almost on by default with some of them. So that that's probably, probably worth looking at. Yeah, so that's, um, that's kind of where I'm at, really. Um, it's quite cool, actually, using the Raspberry Pi for this. It's like a genuinely cool use for it, because I kind of bought it half thinking, like, why are you buying this? Like, yes, it's a cool toy, and it's you know fun to play with, but why are you really buying this? <laughs> but yeah, it's quite cool. I've got this sat here on my desk now, a little tiny Raspberry Pi. It's uh, serving many a function. A, it's like a, you know, my Apache, MySQL, PHP machine, um, which is cool. Um, also sort of doubling up as a VPN and as a sort of NAS thing that I've got going. It's, it's great. I'm absolutely loving it at the minute. And part of me thought, could this back end? I mean, this is like really sort of, sort of thinking weirdly and out loud, but I kind of thought, could I run all of this back end that I've got on the Raspberry Pi and then just have a Linode that hosts the output? Because I'm thinking the output is most, it's just going to be JSON files, essentially. Right. Um, could I do some kind of like secure copy from the uh, Raspberry Pi to the Linode that just runs? Um, I don't, really know, what, I don't really know what advantage it would be to that, other than having less stuff on the, on the Linode. Because I've kind of got well, like a web backend that I've kind of built for managing the directory. Um, it depends on how often it needs to be be synced and refreshed. You know, if you've got something that's crawling um, and it's it's refreshing all the time and it's important to your application that it remains up to date, then I think you want that hosted on a server like that's out of your house. Yeah. Uh, but if you're kind of just cranking the handle, you know, once a week or even every sort of two or three days and it is then just static after that, then, then what you've just said kind of works. You're thinking you know, maybe you, like once you, a day? Yep. Um, uh, and there's possibly no no major immediate downside to sort of having having it be out of date by a day or two, right? The, the risk is that you go away for a day, you know, for a holiday or whatever, and it, your uh, power gets disconnected and, and the buy is turned off. Um. And at that point, the, the, you've got to look at, okay, well, what's the knock-on effect to my users at that point? Do, do they suddenly get no new new content at all? Um, is is it that much of a linchpin, or is it just that the, the directory is not as up-to-date as it could be? Yeah, the directory will remain as it was. It just won't get any yep. updates, will it? Um, exactly. So then your risk is probably sort of fairly low um, if it's just a directory of, of um, potential content sources. Because you know your your initial kind of thing with that is just building that directory up, which is way more of a job than I thought it would be. <laughs> I hasten to add. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, you probably could kind of play it out in that sort of way. And I mean, it's sensible that the app um, is reading from from something like a Linode sort of instance um, to grab that directory content, yeah, for sure. 
Um, but at this stage, if that's how it's developed and everything is essentially kind of static JSON uh, that the app is then just consuming as people go through the directories, then, yeah, you could have that sort of process, that sort of setup, and it probably would be perfectly fine. Because you, your failure point is, well, okay, the most recent copy on the server is out of date by X many days, but it's still... You, you, you know, obviously Lino could go down and you've got to think about that, but it's a separate problem. Um, but yeah, the risk is that that directory content is out of date by X many days. And if you're okay to accept that risk, then that's a perfectly fine way of operating. I guess it's just working out what, what the benefits are really, other than just sort of gratifying myself that like, look at me, aren't I clever? I've got a Raspberry Pi to do this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's perfect as a development thing but whether that's yeah. going to production my gut says mm, no probably not not really but i think like there might be a point where your your back end becomes a little bit more dynamic and then you're talking about some sort of instance that is is it needs to be hosted on a server because it's actually the the app is talking to an api that is being fed from a database um or something like that and um you know, we're not talking static JSON outputs here at this point. And then, if that's the case, it absolutely has to be on a server and be hosted properly and, and, and out there um, with the sort of, you know, options for for other um, instances to take over if, if that server goes down and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's probably a point of scale where if you're at this initial stage where it is just sort of static JSON, then, you know, you're your Asprey Pi kind of cranking the handle to, to pull everything is, is probably perfectly fine, provided the app is consuming from a, a, a Linode or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, just kind of think let the Raspberry Pi do sort of the, the hard work and then just once it's generated the JSON files, just copy them to the Linode, done. Mm-hmm. Then all the Linode really needs is to A, host the database and B, be a, a data store for some JSON files. But actually, yep. kind of the, the the web backend that I've built, sort of like you know, like the admin panel we have when we log into Fireside to post a new podcast episode. I've kind of built something that sort of resembles that, where you yep. can sort of add sites, categorize them, tag them, all that kind of stuff. That itself, like the tool that I would use to add new content, there's no reason why that can't live on the Pi. And if I'm away, I can still get to it because I can VPN into the house. But yeah, I do wonder whether I'm sort of getting into the weeds a little bit of this Raspberry Pi, just kind of being wooed by it and trying to do all sorts with it that could actually come back to bite me. Yeah. I think at the very least it's sounding like a very cool um, development approach. You know, you've got this server that you can that is local, it's just sat on your desk and you can bend it to your will and it's, you know, it's not hosted somewhere remote or whatever. You need to just um, reinstall or flatten that machine or even just kind of try something new out, you can just put a new SD card in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And start again. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, So I thought a lot to be said for that. Uh, One thing I did do um, on Saturday when I was sitting around feeling sorry for myself um, is I I sketched out, like, plans for sort of where I want RoboHeads to go over the next couple of years sort of kind of working back backwards from like well how much money do i want it to be making in two years time (sighs) and i basically just went i want my wage (laughs) okay 
what would be fantastic would be if I was making as much as I'm making working in two years' time, and that's that's probably quite an ask and, and quite unrealistic. Do you think that GoVJ could be the thing that gets you that, or would it have to be another product? Possibly as another product, um, but then I, I kind of worked backwards and kind of went, okay, so if um, if I halve that amount and keep halving, how many times do I have to do that before I hit what I'm making with the app at the moment? A sort of like a, a kind of half-life yeah. kind of calculation. And I think it's somewhere between about five or six times. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, if that was happening, say every... Uh, it works out if I wanted it to happen in, in two years, I would have to be like doubling the income off my app every four months. Right. Okay. Which again is probably unrealistic. Um, but it led me to sort of think, well, okay, I'm making you know, around about $150 a month at the moment with, with what I've already got in the store. Is that New Zealand dollars? And uh, No, US. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not bad. I mean, it varies. It's more than I have um, made. <laughs> the, the, the rolling average varies between about 120 to 160. Um, so maybe 150 is over-egging it a bit. But um, yeah, it's sort of between those kind of goalposts. Um, so I thought, okay, well, what would it take to make what I've got doing at the moment make more money? And I, I kind of looked at my websites, looked at my app store listings um, and just sort of started making plans well okay I can probably improve my screenshots I can improve some of my copy uh, I've got ideas for sort of things that could actually direct people to the site as well some content that I can put out I think it's like a whole raft of things I could do that would place each one of my apps a little bit better without me actually having to go back to Xcode and start developing right yeah uh, so anyway, I'm going to put some of those things into action over this next week and just sort of start making a bit of progress on that rather than going straight back into developing 2.0. Um, it's like, I'm already selling it. I have issues with, with it and I do want to improve it. Um, but can I actually direct more people to buy it with just, you know, a bit of concerted effort for a couple of weeks? Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? Because if you can't now, what makes you think you could in the future with a new version? I mean, I guess the new version in itself could draw people in. Yeah, um, yeah, it would do. But it's um, proven you can reach your market, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And if you can do that, and you've got a version two, you could do really well out of that. Exactly, yeah. And I, and I was sort of thinking what I could do is I can push a, an update to, to 1.0, or 1.x as it is, really, Um to signpost that there's going to be a 2.0 soon. Um, so like some sort of pop-up or something when you're in the app. Um, that's just sort of, you know, oh, by the way, this is in development. You can read more about it here and click people off to a landing page. Do like a, a prospective GoVJ2 landing page um, with, you know, some mock-ups and that sort of stuff and, a, and an email sign-up. Um, so if people are interested, they can throw their email address in and I can tell them when it's ready. Mm-hmm. And that sort of feels like that's worth doing. It kind of excuses the app um, not looking as, as sleek as it could do as well. Um, 
So I think that's probably worth worth my while doing that. Yeah, uh, definitely. And like you say, that stuff you could do really without getting too deep into Xcode. Yes, because that's once you go in, it's hard to uh, <laughs> resurface, isn't it? In some some cases. Yeah, and I, and I think I need I need to do some of that, and then hopefully I'll have maybe this kind of growing sort of pool of people who are interested in 2.0 as well, and I can maybe use them to beta stuff as I go along, because uh, I've kind of lost all my, my beta testers that I used to have. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, anyway, we'll talk about it properly, I think, next week. Yes, of course, it's a bit of a, uh, bit of a tease <laughs> for, what, for what you're up to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this, this is where my head's at anyway. Um, it's, it's sort of just, yeah, can I make more money with what I've already done? Because I've already put a lot of work into this stuff. Um, and I think the chances are is yes, I reckon I could probably nudge it to, if you say I'm making 150 bucks a month at the moment, I reckon I could nudge it over 200 you know, with, with uh, a bit of thought. Because I'm getting the hits, you know, in terms of like app store impressions and that sort of stuff. I'm just not converting people as well as I could. It's it's not like I'm sort of, you know, I'm making, say, so I'm making five sales in a week. It's not like I've only had 10 hits in the app store. There's like several hundred impressions. Some weeks there's, there's thousands. So I'm just not... Uh, not doing it for a lot of those people and I kind of need to kind of sort of see what I could do to, to sort of make that an easier decision for people to just buy it. Do you have a video? No, and that's on my list as well. <laughs> I think that if you can make a good compelling video, yeah, that could be worth a lot. Yeah, a and lot, I don't think lot. it even needs to be that complex either. I think it just needs... Not complex, but I think it needs to convey what the app can do really quickly. Yep. Yep. Um, and it's super hard. I remember when I tried to do it with um, armchair, it was like, I just couldn't convey what I wanted to convey. It's almost like I, I was like, oh, I need to let the user know about this, 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 and this. And yep. I was just, the video was like, blah, 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 and it's like, oh, you come away from it. And it's like, well, that doesn't, it's not really very coherent. <laughs> no. <laughs> just kind of have, have a look at the one I did for AirSynth. Um, Cause I did do one for AirSynth and I think that was worthwhile having. I felt when I did it, it was so cheesy because I basically, um, I, I just used the app um, and, and recorded that and then pulled it all through to iMovie and just had um, some text kind of come up with a little effects that just sort of says, you know, uh, wave your hands over the top and fantastic effects and rah, 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 as I was sort of doing different bits um, the transitions on the text is, is kind of what I feel was really cheesy. Um, but it was simple to do. And, you know, I mean, it took me all of maybe, I think by the time I'd done editing it, I'd spent maybe just over an hour on it. Yeah. Um, and that was worth doing. You know, so I could do the same for GoVJ, I reckon. I think start with that. Mm. That could be the thing that, just by adding that, that could, you know, start the graph going up again. <laughs> yeah, with those conversions, because it gives people that that impression. Yeah. The, the images I've got at the moment just look really, really old school as well. Yeah, it, it gives um, something that a screenshot never can, really. I think the video. Yeah. A good video, anyway. Oh, I've got to leg it, Dave, no and worries. I really want to save some of this discussion for, for another episode. Cool, um, okay. We'll put a pin in this. Um, yep. Yep, and hopefully I'll have a bit... Um, 
bit more to sort of say about it all as well. Cool. Nice one. I'll let you go. Sweet. All right. Catch you later, Dave. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot. 